I'm Dr. Judy, and welcome to Supercharged Life, where I help you discover new ways to create success, wellness, and fulfillment, and give you tangible tools to supercharge your life. And today's supercharged tip is speaking your truth. Coming into your authentic self and speaking up is a big part of personal growth and inner development. It really takes a lot of courage to use this skill, but when you do, you and those who hear your message will reap phenomenal benefits. No matter where you are in life, speaking your truth will help you to move forward in your career, create authentic and supportive social circles, and bolster your self-confidence and self-esteem. And my guest today is a young woman who is such a wonderful role model, and she has done just that. She is charging forward with an important mission and message and advocating for resources for people suffering from domestic violence and abuse. She shares her personal journey as a domestic violence sufferer in the past, and now she's on the other side, empowering others that a better life and positive relationships are possible. And by the way, she's also wearing a crown. So please welcome Miss New Jersey US say Gina Mellon. Hi. <laughs> Thank you oh, so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you, Gina. And all I've got to say is we need more young adult role models like you doing Thank great you. things, using the platform that you have for good. Um, I, I think that, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And when you have a platform, it's your chance to show the world what you can do and what the potential is for all of us. And so that's why it's so great to get to talk to you. And I think right now, especially your platform and your fight for people who have been domestic violence sufferers is especially important because the COVID-19 pandemic has ignited this other public health crisis. And that is a rise in domestic violence reports. And it's not just happening in the US, but it's happening across the world. Now, I know you know this as well as I do, but both males and females can be victims of domestic abuse, but women are more affected than men. It's usually about 85% women and 15% men for most estimates. But this risk of domestic violence is increasing right now. So for example, there was an analysis by The Economist, and they looked at data from five big American cities, including Chicago, Kansas City, Los Angeles, Memphis, and New Orleans. And it showed that actually total crime fell by 25%, but reports of domestic violence actually went up by 5%. And in the UK, there's a domestic violence helpline that reported 700% increase in calls in one single day. And the French police actually reported a spike of 30% in domestic violence. So Gina, why do you think the current stay-at-home orders might actually present more of a risk to people who might be suffering domestic violence disputes. It really is, I think, an epidemic happening within a pandemic. And right now it is creating an environment where so many victims are co-quarantined with their abusers. You know, it really is so important that we realize that, you know, there are a lot of people that are able to reach out to hotlines and they are, you know, able to connect to police enforcement, but there's also that limitation where a lot of the times people's privacy is taken away from them because they are co-quarantined with their abusers. So that's where other resources can come in as well to kind of eliminate that because so many reports go 
unreported. So many cases go unreported. You know, I think it's true that the statistics that we have are probably a gross underreport because a lot of people don't talk about this. And I know that you have your own personal discovery of this. And for a long time, I know you've mentioned that you were in denial and didn't really face it until you were basically mandated to go to a seminar where people were talking about it and sharing their stories. So can you tell me a little bit about that day, why you had to go to that seminar and what you learned? Yeah. So I found myself in an abusive relationship for about three years at that time. And um, isolation was something that I really fell victim to in my unhealthy relationship. And I wanted to go out for a sorority and just have something that was just for Gina that, you know, I could go to and it was only for me. So I went out for a sorority. I was a freshman in college and fell in love with Alpha Sigma Tau. And one of the events that we had to go to was a mandatory workshop for the One Love Foundation. And I had no idea what it was. I just knew I kind of had to show up and show my face and be there as the good sister does. So I showed up and I sat down and the workshop was so parallel to my own life. And it was a 45 minute video, basically parallel to the girl's life who One Love was created by. And her name was Yardley Love. And um, her mom created One Love after her daughter was killed just two weeks before her college graduation. And her mom found out from a phone call. And I basically said, like, I don't want to be that phone call. And I don't want to be that statistic. And there's people, you know, sitting in front of me telling me that they can help and they understand where I'm coming from. And their whole mission was really that her family thought that her life and her death could have been preventable. And so by educating these people on these unhealthy signs and what they looked like, education of the unhealthy signs is so important. And so I was like, okay, I found people who understand where I'm coming from and can help me. And I basically sat in the back of the last row and tried to muffle my cries, but it was such a life-changing day for me. And I'm so grateful for everything that they have done. And since then, I've been teaching that workshop on my own. So with One Love, my life has really come full circle. And so I've been able to basically teach young men and women what they taught me. I love what you're telling me about the mission of One Love, because their mission is to educate young people about both healthy and unhealthy relationships and to empower people to identify and avoid abuse and also learn to love better. And I love what you said. I know that you were talking to one of our producers and you mentioned, it's interesting, right? We go to these classes, we learn English, we learn social studies, we learn math, but we're never taught really specifically how to love and how to have positive relationships. And for people who, of course, there's a lot of misunderstandings out there about domestic violence sufferers, like, oh, well, if you realize he or she was abusing you, why don't you just leave? But people don't realize that no relationship starts out abusive because you would definitely be out of there on day one. It, it always, <laughs> and people tell me this all the time, the people that I work with in my practice who have been abused, they'll say, oh, it started out like a fairy tale. Everything was great. And then slowly and surely, it becomes kind of like a gradual process where you start to do things that become abusive. But in the beginning, it's never the worst thing. They're not beating you over the head and slamming you against the wall on day one. And I think that that's what people don't realize that these individuals actually have a great 
propensity to charm you in the first place. And it doesn't mean that there isn't love there. There's a lot of reasons why people become abusers, but unless they want to get help, they're never going to really resolve the problem. And the longer you stay, the more danger it is for you. Without getting into the specifics of your abuse, because I definitely want to make sure that you know we are respectful to that part of your story. When was it in the relationship where you started to think, is this abuse? And you started to question that maybe something was wrong. It wasn't really until there were signs of physical abuse that I was able to realize you know, the situation that I was in. And I think that's a huge thing that One Love focuses on is that abuse isn't always physical. It can be emotional. It can be financial. And it's something that, you know, we have to teach people to recognize. And so early on in the relationship, because there are red flags and there are signs early on, and we're just not taught to recognize them. So sharing that education for people is so important so that it doesn't take until the physical abuse to show its face for you to know that these are red flags. You're making such a good point because I think almost everybody would say, yes, universally, what I consider to be abuse is physical. That when Mm -hmm. it crosses that line, you know that that means that it's abuse. But as you mentioned, there are so many other signs of abuse, emotional, verbal, financial. And when that's happening, it's harder to distinguish because people haven't been taught what some of those warning signs are. So can you tell me some of these signs of unhealthy relationships so that we can educate our listeners? And I think when we listen to this, some people may say, oh my gosh, I've definitely been in a relationship like this before, or I'm in one right now, or my friend is in this right now. And we're definitely going to get to how we deal with it if you recognize that that's happening to you. But what are some of those signs, Gina? So I think some of the signs that I experienced um, and were so hard for me to recognize, but once I kind of, you know, took to one love, it was like, wow, Um, belittling is a huge sign. Also isolation. Like I mentioned, I really tried to get out there and do something that was just for Gina. Um, Guilting and volatility are also huge factors. Um, deflecting responsibility is a huge one too. Like you have a responsibility to your relationship. And while we're not perfect 100% all the time, unfortunately, we're all going to do unhealthy behaviors. It's so important to be able to recognize things like these um, in any relationship, not just romantic, but also with your friends and with your family. I think the signs that you mentioned are so important for people to notice. You know, sometimes people will isolate um, a person that they're in a relationship with, but say that it's out of love. But it's never okay to say you can't hang out with your family or friends or act jealous or upset if you do something for yourself. And I think there's also this aspect of extreme jealousy, extreme possessiveness, uh, controlling where you go, um, telling you that you can never do anything right, as you mentioned, the belittling, possibly even controlling how you spend your money and keeping track of exactly where that money is going, even when it's not their money. And so a lot of these things, I think it's important because we, we sometimes forget that those things over time basically take you away from being able to talk to people that might say, hey, this isn't okay. And it closes you off into a world where you basically feel like it's just you and this person and there's no way out of it. And I think that that's why it's so important that you are talking about this. I'm so glad that you got involved with One Love right away. It sounds like it was that day, right? You went home and you started to look them up. I was like, help, I need you. (laughs) Yeah, that's such an amazing like sense of comfort, knowing that someone had been through this and this is what they dedicated, I guess, six years 
at that point. Um, and they just had their 10 year anniversary and have been able to educate over a million students. So they were definitely vetted and did their research. And I was like, hi, help me over here. Like I'm one of your million. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I love the fact that the mission of One Love too is to teach people about what healthy relationships look like. So what have you been telling people as you've been running these workshops and talking to people? What are the signs of good relationships, positive ones that are worth investing in? Yeah, so it's so important to contrast the bad with the good because, of course, relationships are all about fun and love is such an amazing part of our lives. So some of the healthy signs that we talk about are comfortable pace, which obviously contrasts like the intensity and the fast pace. Um, trust and honesty, which I feel like is a given, but it's, sometimes it's not always there. So it's so important to talk about that. Um, also independence, respect, equality, kindness is a huge one too. That is so important, but just doing little things to, you know, brighten someone's day is so important in any relationship. Um, taking responsibility, also healthy conflict because, you know, we are not going to perfect all the time. And, you know, sometimes it's really important to be able to talk about things together, you know, and really compromise in a relationship. I think that's important for any relationship. And of course, fun, like every relationship needs some fun. And whether it's romantic or with your friends, like that is something that is so important. So, you know, these signs, while some of them seem easy to recognize, I think it's so important to always mention them because sometimes they can get overlooked. I'm so glad that you're talking about these signs of healthy relationships, because sometimes I will see people making a list of all the things that they want in a relationship. <laughs> they tend to be very superficial things. Like I want him to be six foot two and I want him to have a nice body. Um, but those types of things are not going to actually, I mean, they're nice when they happen, but <laughs> they're not going to actually make for a very solid relationship per se. You're looking for qualities in people, things that will stand the test of time. And I'm so glad that you mentioned healthy conflict because a relationship that is healthy is not one that's devoid of conflict. That would be ridiculous. If you never argued about anything, it probably means that you're not very emotionally invested in your relationship, right? Exactly. You're two individuals coming together. It's hard to get along with people and learn all of their idiosyncrasies. So if you're not actually having conflict at all, I, I think that's actually not a healthy rule. That that The rule is that when you have conflict, that you're able to talk about it in ways that doesn't utilize name calling, demeaning the other person, making them mm -hmm. feel like they're a bad person. right? And, and I think that that is a really important communication skill as well. So how much does your work related to One Love or the work that you're doing on your own deal with helping women and men to leave abusive relationships? Because ultimately, you were able to leave that abusive relationship too. How hard was it for you? And what do you teach people about it? So I am not a professional. And I always say that, um, you know, I just, I have this amazing platform to be able to share these signs. But ultimately, I always provide people with numerous resources. So when I host these workshops, I always have a representative from Title IX, from whether it's the college or the high school. And I always have a guidance counselor or someone present because ultimately, I have my platform and I have my story and my experience, but I am not a professional. So I always just love to be able to provide people with resources. And I actually, wherever I go, um, specifically when I did it for Marist College, I had a, I think, three-page resource 
of vetted resources for people to go to, whether it's local or national, you know, the national domestic violence hotline, or whether it's a local shelter that takes people in. So just really providing people with as many avenues as possible, because you never really know what avenue can save someone's life. So I think it's always so important to do your research and really vet your resources that you provide to people. And for you, when you ultimately were able to leave successfully, was that hard for you? Did it take a little while? And what did you utilize to be able to leave? Yeah, so it it did take a while. Um, everyone's experience and circumstances are different. So my experience and circumstance was, you know, that I was ultimately going to the same college as my abuser. So it was difficult for me to kind of distance myself. Um, But ultimately, I was Miss New Jersey Teen USA at the time. So kind of living like that double life of going out in public and being like this glamorous figure and then behind closed doors kind of trying to figure out who I was aside from being Miss New Jersey Teen USA because that goes away in a year, you know? So trying to figure out my plan of action and my platform. Ultimately, I had tried therapy a few times, which was great. I'm sure if I had Dr. Judy, I would have done a lot more. (laughs) But, um, you know, for me, my true, true healing process was really being able to speak my truth and share my story. And that was really important for me because it was, I wanted to feel empowered by my experience instead of asking, you know, why me? Why did this happen to me? So to be able to kind of feel empowered by my experiences and share my story with people and just tell people, you know, that this can happen to anyone. It can happen in seemingly normal relationships and it doesn't discriminate. And Miss New Jersey USA even went through it as New Jersey Teen USA. So it's so important to be able to share with people your story, um, for me at least. And that was really something that truly helped me heal and come to terms with my experiences in life. I'm so glad that you're sharing that. And I think that is so important that you were able to utilize the experience to take power back. And I think that that's really the biggest message is that sometimes when people have been stuck in an abusive relationship for so long, it takes away your self-esteem. It takes away your feelings of confidence. And so when you're able to turn it around and reclaim that power for yourself, it can be a very healing process in and of itself. So let's talk about some of the tips for people who are you know, wanting to understand more about why they've become stuck in this abusive cycle and considering leaving. And I'm glad that you said, Hey, it wasn't easy for me. And I was going Mm -hmm. to the same college as my abuser. So it took a while before I could really come up with a good exit plan. And in fact, the research shows that in general, people take an average of seven attempts before they can leave successfully. And it makes sense. You know, you contemplate it, you try, and then you end up coming back. And And why we think that happens is that there's always a little bit of like a risk benefit analysis that the abused person is going through. Like, okay, what if I stay, is that actually better than leaving? Cause what if I leave and they come after me and then I'm ultimately in more danger. And so there's a lot of different things that the person who has been abused is contending with on top of the negative messages that the abuser has been giving them that they're no good. They're not worth anything. Nobody's going to love you like I do. And all of those types of things that you tend to hear. And I've always advised people that definitely keep a couple of domestic violence numbers memorized, you know, just have those numbers handy in case you can't take your phone with you in case your abuser takes away your phone. One really good one that I know you tell people about all the time is the national domestic violence hotline, which is 10799 safe. Or you can also text love is 
to 22522. So commit those to memory. I think that's helpful. Always have a small getaway bag basically hidden somewhere in your home that has all of your essential medicines and cards, IDs, maybe a change of clothes, whatever you think you need to spend a couple of nights away from home. And I also say that it's important for you to document what's happening. Obviously, we have to do this in a way that's safe. And if your abuser is likely to go rummaging around your computer, I would suggest that you name it something completely boring, like notes or history notes, so that they're not going to go snooping around in that document and obviously password protected if you can. But I know that you've been doing a lot of advocacy as well. And one really cool idea that I know you're working on is with the New Jersey government officials, which is a code word that people can use in pharmacies or businesses to ask for help. Can you tell me the idea behind that and how it would work? Yes. Yeah, so um, how this kind of came about was it was maybe my first or second week in quarantine and one of my friends sent me an article that Elle had published, Elle magazine, and said France, Spain, and the UK implemented a code word, Mass 19, in their pharmacies for domestic violence victims to use. And that was like, wow, this is genius. And it was really easy for them to implement because they have a universal healthcare system. Um, so basically, they, you know, they said, okay, this is implemented. And everyone was like, okay, it's not <laughs> as easy to implement it in the US because our healthcare system is a little bit different and we have Walgreens and CVS and the local pharmacy. So ultimately I came up with a briefing that basically said, you know, this is how we can do it in the United States. And so mass 19 is something that so many women have been able to use in Europe and has been so beneficial to them because of the fact that, you know, like I said, their privacy has been taken away from them in many um, situation. So opening up that other avenue and that ability for women to go to or men to go to their local business where they get their hair done and say, you know, mass 19, if they're with their abuser, they then their abuser don't they don't know what that means. Um, so ultimately, I created a briefing for local businesses that want to participate and also briefings for the local police department because they're going to respond to whatever call they get, but it's so important to kind of vet police on the fact that this is happening around the world. And if they do get a call to a pharmacy, they know what's going on. So it's been a very long project and I've been working with amazing elected officials, but ultimately, you know, we're in COVID-19. So a lot of things slip through the cracks, but it's been amazing kind of, you know, after hearing a few no's, like hearing yeses, and it's so encouraging that there's so many people that really do want to open up this avenue to victims. Gina, I think it's so cool that you are rallying public officials and government officials, creating briefings for them. That is amazing. I was not doing that at your age. But honestly, I, I didn't know I could either. I'm a fashion major, so I never thought I would ever be in politics. I think it's, it's crazy. But I'm trying, you know, someone has to. (laughs) And you know what? The most cool campaigns and things that really transform our community have come from the ground up from one individual who really believes and then they enlist a community of individuals and they enlist the people in office who can do something about it and get the word out. And just good luck for that project, because I do think that it would be helpful if more employees were educated on Mm -hmm. domestic violence. So while 
there's obviously some pros and cons with trying to implement that in the States, which you've already discussed. I think it's a great idea to try because it's intimidating for somebody who's been abused to think, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to show up at the police station to make a report, right? So this idea of just going to the pharmacy and picking up some shampoo and being able to make a report <laughs> in that way, yeah. I think that removes a barrier for some of these individuals to finally speak up. I want to move on to our supercharged secret of the day, which is to speak your truth. Gina, you are somebody who speaks your truth despite probably some fear in the beginning. Wow. Do I really want to disclose this about myself? What will people think about me? Will it really do any good? And yet you charge for it anyway. And this is such an important thing for people to embody, because if you can speak your truth, you can have so much more success in your career, so many better relationships that are fulfilling, and just in general, feel really good about yourself. So what I want to do is go over a few tips on how people can speak their truth. And I want to talk to you about how you've done it. So tip one is to decide what's truly important to you. I know that you mentioned when you were participating as Miss Teen USA, and now of course, your New Jersey USA, and really deciding what your platform is going to be. And I think Every one of us has to decide what's truly important to us. Lift the veil of potential judgments of other people and what they want and think about what you want, what matters most to you. So when did you make that crucial decision of thinking this is going to be my platform? Well, it's really funny because I I, I had no idea I would ever be in pageants. I was such a tomboy growing up. And I was able to do the gliss and the glam the first time around as Miss New Jersey Teen USA because that's kind of what I thought pageantry was all about. Um, but for me, you know, the second time around, it wasn't. I wanted to have this platform to share my story and ultimately watch so many amazing women pave that path in front of me who were lawyers as Miss USA's and incredibly accomplished scientists. And that really motivated me to say, you know what, this is my passion and this is my story. And I want to compete for Miss New Jersey USA, not for the glitz and the glam. I mean, sometimes the sparkles are nice. But it's so important for me to be able to take that platform and use it to share my story to help other people, because that, for me, was really the defining factor of why I went through my experiences. So yeah, for sure, just being able to share my story. Yeah. And I think we started this conversation talking about that, you know, having the courage to share your story and to do it in an authentic way that can help other people. Now, tip number two is to construct your message. You know, what is the one takeaway that you want to communicate to your audience and listeners? And starting from the outcomes first, then you can kind of peel back and think about what I can do to achieve that messaging. So if anybody could only remember one thing today from your story, what do you want them to remember? I really want them to remember how important it is for unhealthy relationship education. I think that's something, you know, that we don't really think about, you know, like we said, we're taught a lot of things that we're not taught how to love, but the importance of educating yourself on healthy and unhealthy relationships is so important and something that we can do without leaving our homes right now, which is so important. And something that should really be continued, you know, past COVID-19 and implemented in schools and colleges and high schools, because 
ultimately, it's really important to be able to recognize those signs. Just like your sorority mandated you to go to this workshop, I think that they should be mandated for students. I think that they should be mandated much earlier in junior high, probably, I think would be a good time to introduce these concepts because, you know, people are starting to date then. And parents who are out there who think that your kids (laughs) are not dating at 12, they, they are. They are. (laughs) They're lying. They're lying. lying. Um, Okay. Tip three is to enlist a community. And I know that you did this, Gina, but lean on the power and structure and support of other communities who might resonate with your message and who can pave the way for you and and partnering with others to create initiatives to move your message forward. And I know that we talked a lot about the One Love Foundation. What is your most favorite thing about working with them? My favorite thing about working with them is that they're so understanding and compassionate. And I would never felt like it was my fault that I was in my situation. I never really felt like a victim. They made me feel like a survivor. And that was so important to me. And just the community that they have created around remembering Yardley Love and now educating people, it's bringing a silver lining to a conversation that can sometimes be really dark. So I think just really bringing the light into the world that really is Yardley and what she went through and now taking her experiences and sharing it with the world and saving other people's lives. Yes. And I think if we can save one life every day, because there's so many people who die from domestic violence every day, but if we can just save one life from the work that we're doing, it's incredibly impactful. And I love that you're continuing to charge forward in this manner. So tip four is to learn from mentors, you know, get in touch with people who inspire you and who are already bravely speaking up and ask them for tips on how they're able to speak their truth and find ways to channel their tips and forms that feel authentic to you. Now, I know you got into pageantry because of a role model you had. So can we tell uh, the audience about that story and how you got started? Yes. So like I said, I was a huge tomboy. I played pretty much every in the book and my clothes of choice were basketball shorts and a baggy tee and there is nothing wrong with that (laughs) but um the captain of my volleyball team in high school she uh won Miss New Jersey Teen USA her name was Christina Thompson and I had no idea what Miss New Jersey Teen USA was or how she won that I was like what in the goodness how did you get that crown I'm very confused (laughs) But she was such a beautiful light and a role model. And everyone that knew her either wanted to be like her or just loved her. And for me, I looked up to her not only as a captain on the team, but just a role model for life. And that's how I ended up competing for Miss New Jersey Teen USA. And I got third runner up on my first try and then ended up winning the year after. And I really just dedicated my year to looking up to her and kind of just continuing the path that she paved for me. So yes, role models are amazing. (laughs) Yes, we all need a good role model and they can just do so much for us in our lives and give us something to shoot for and also give us hope that we can achieve those outcomes. And the last tip for speaking your truth is to ignore critics. And this is because, Gina, whenever we have important messages, it can cause some people to be uncomfortable. And as we mentioned before, there are these misconceptions about people who are abused and people think, oh, well, there's something wrong with you that you were abused or why didn't you leave? Why did it take you so long? And to an extent, we have to ignore these people who criticize or try to break you down because usually that critique is more about them and their issues than you. So just remember why you're doing this, lean on your communities and mentors, and above all, practice good self-care to take care of your own emotions 
emotional health as you're doing this work. And I actually wanted to end on this critic concept because I think that there's a lot of misconceptions about people who participate in pageants. And these are people who usually have no knowledge of the pageant world (laughs) and exactly how it works. So what do you say to that? I mean, when people criticize or maybe seem like they're making a judgment about, well, why do you care about you know, Miss Teen, or why do you care about Miss USA? What would you say to people about what that world is really about? I really think that the Miss Universe organization is really changing what it means to look like and be like a modern day woman. Because normally, typically, people think that, you know, people can have beauty and brains at the same time. But I think that the Miss Universe organization is really stepping on that criticism and just showing that a woman's beauty can be in her intelligence and her bravery and her courage and her ambition. And I think that is so important to share because that's really what the modern day woman looks like. I couldn't have said it better myself. Gina, you have so much depth and experience and wisdom already as young as you are. And I'm so glad that we're able to talk about this because people, if you're trapped in a toxic relationship, speak your truth. If you are stuck in a dead-end job, speak your truth. If you have a brilliant idea, speak your truth. Your voice holds power and no one can take it from you. And that is today's supercharged secret. Gina, where can people find you on social media? We'll obviously be looking for you when Miss USA finally opens up. And (laughs) I don't know when that's going to happen with everything going on, but we'll look forward to seeing you on stage. But where can people find you in the meantime? Yes, you can follow me on Instagram on my personal at the Gina Mellish or my Miss New Jersey official account at Miss NJ USA. So thank you so much for having me. It was so lovely to talk to you, Gina. Good luck to you. We're going to be cheering you on. And I think you're just setting a wonderful model for so many young women out there who look up to you and look up to the fact that you're using your platform for so much good. So thank you so much. And thank you all for listening to this episode of Supercharged Life. Be sure to subscribe, download, listen, and tell your friends about this podcast. I'm Dr. Judy. Now go supercharge your life.